This episode is supported by FX's Clipped, the scandalous story of the 2014 Clippers owner's racist remarks captured on tape and heard around the world. The series charts the tape's impact on a dysfunctional basketball organization striving to win against their reputation as the most cursed team in the league. Starring Lawrence Fishburne, Jackie Weaver, Cleopatra Coleman, and Ed O'Neill. FX's Clipped, streaming June 4th, only on Hulu. What's going on, everyone? Taylor Kyle's here for CLNS Media with another episode of everybody's favorite show. Best damn day of the week with Alex Barth here to talk some college football. Uh, but before we do, uh, we have to address uh, something pretty terrible that happened today. Um, at the Chiefs Super Bowl victory parade, there unfortunately was a mass shooting. Um, apparently, players and staff and everybody are okay. Um, but the last that I, the last report that I saw said that one person was killed, and uh, nine people were hospitalized and injured, and their status is to be determined. You know, I know people don't like politics in their football, um, and I get that to a degree. If we're being very honest, politics has always been a part of sports. Um, you know, but I understand that side. But it, it felt like a pretty wrong move to just come into the show acting like nothing happened. Cause I think, you know, this is something that needs to be discussed um, at least touched on um, with our, each of our thoughts. So Alex, um, how are you doing? And what are your thoughts on what happened today? Yeah. I, I mean, obviously it's unfortunate. We all know around here what uh, a Super Bowl parade means to a city, especially the kids, you know, having been to some myself and, not just, uh, you know, this one, but I think any, you know, this is just now when we hear Chiefs Super Bowl parade and, and if Chiefs win anymore and, and, and they do parades again, this is just going to be be a part of it now. This is just a, a, another uh, event in which the the uh, is now attached to possibility of a mass shooting. And it's also the fourth, I think, anniversary of the Marjorie Donham's high school shooting, the Parkland shooting, uh, which I remember doing a show with Evan that night. And we it was kind of the same thing where, where we sort of had to talk about it. And I'll just say the same thing then. Uh, I'll say the same thing I said then because nothing's really changed in that. I don't know. I, I, I cover football. I have no idea how this stuff works. But uh, clearly whatever we're doing isn't working. Clearly something needs to be done. And you hope that the people we pick to figure this out for us, the people who claim to be smart enough to solve the issues can solve the issues, but that doesn't seem to be happening right now. And that's really unfortunate. Yeah. Um, where I come from, this is obviously frustration and empathy for the people who are affected, but then there's the specific frustration of, we feel this all the time. <laughs> we feel this anytime these things happen. I think, you know, Everybody is moved and hurt by these things, but I was thinking about it and it's kind of frustrating also when it turns into like one specific issue where it's just gun control, it's just mental health, it's just, you know, how these things are handled, it's just, um, you know, I'm trying to 
figure out how to phrase this, but polarized politics as well. Like where we have a lot of people who are in power who are trying to put us one way or the other against another other. Yeah. And it's all of these things. Like I'm not here to I'm not here to tell you what to think or be, you know, uber politician. Like you said, I cover football. I spend most right. of my day trying to figure out trade scenarios and a bunch of stuff that doesn't mean anything in the grand scale, but at the same time has its own value because it brings entertainment and it's a getaway for a lot of people. And that's why I hate to have to bring this up, but it, it it's all of these different things where we have a very real mental health crisis. We do have loose gun laws in some places. And we also have just the very fact that people are trying to push us against each other. And I'll, I'll leave it at that, you know, because I don't I don't want to get too far into it. But right. it, it's just it, 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 there's so many layers to this. And I just hope we can when we do have these discussions, they can be nuanced and they can be from a perspective where you are trying to listen and understand where people are coming from, but also can be, you know. Rooted in your points and trying to make change, because that's all any of us can do, is to truly believe something and try to make a difference. That's all we can do. Um, and that's, yeah, well I guess, put. yeah, that's where we'll leave it. Um, but beyond that, trying to refocus, um, the Patriots, going to refocus. Again, it's it's a, it's a weird transition, but, you know, we want to give you guys entertainment. So we're going to be, you know, more lighthearted from here on out try to give you guys what you came here for. Uh, we appreciate you listening for that portion. Um, one thing that I know you're very passionate about, Joe Kim, <laughs> one of the directors of player development. He is being retained this season. Uh, we talked about with Scott Peters, how uh, offensive line coach, he has his whole MMA background. And that's a really exciting thing to add to a position where a lot of it is hand fighting and um, now he's a guy on the defensive side of the ball. He's been here for a long time, very highly regarded for his work with the defensive line and the pass rush specialists. So what were your thoughts on him being retained by the Patriots? Cause you, you keep bringing him up and I love when you do, cause he's one of the more interesting people on the Patriots staff. Yeah. So for people who don't know, Joe, I forget exactly what his title is. He's like a, a technique development, something like that, but he's this expert on martial arts who works with linemen, specifically defensive linemen, on things like hand placement and leverage. And it, every, he's been here for a while. Now. I think he's been here for close to 10 years. And players rave about what they learn from him. And, and to see him stick around, I think, is great because I do think he provides something of value. And you look at what their, de their defensive line has been pretty consistently good throughout his tenure. And it almost makes me more encouraged about the Scott Peters hire because that's another guy with a martial arts background that comes in and is going to be able to teach some of that as well. Hopefully we get to see the two of them spar at training camp. I think that's going to be a ton say, of fun. Yes, yes. <laughs> um, but, you know, this is, there's a reason that linemen, a lot of them have a background in like wrestling because that's what it all is. It's all leverage and a lot of leverage, a lot of what's based on leverage is hips and hand placement. So there absolutely is carry over here. There's a ton of carry over here. So I'm happy to hear Joe Kim sticking around. I, I think that for a team that needs to be better in the trenches, having a guy like this is a good thing. Yeah. I mean, like, I'm not going to be like, oh, I used to play. But, like, I, I wrestled in high school, and it is just one of those things where martial arts – I mean, any – I think one of the things – that we need to get out of lexicon is like being a multiple sport athlete is like a bad thing. It's an incredible thing because your body just kind of learns how to do certain things reflexively. And then having the perspective of how it works outside of your specific sport, it kind of helps it make a little more sense. And I, I mean, 
wrestling especially doing it i understand why offensive line coaches love people who have an offense or a wrestling background or a martial arts background because when it comes to those close quarter kind of combat things there's not a lot of places you learn how to deal with that basketball's not teaching that lacrosse is right. teaching that hockey sure the boxing element if you're an enforcer <laughs> then like yeah you get that but it is really cool and it's exciting and i'm really interested to see especially with the patriots offensive line has just been it, this is Scott Peters, but offensive line has kind of been a weird position where you're excited about what Scott Peters brings in that respect, especially because on the defensive line, handwork has been one of their strengths, as you said, for a pretty consistent amount of time. So that's pretty cool. Yeah. Moving on to another staff addition and some changes that are going to happen because of that addition. Alonzo Highsmith, we've touched on it already, his actual hiring, but we found out that he's actually going to be implementing some changes to the player evaluation process. I know you wrote about this, so I'm going to give you the runway to talk about it, but what's new? What uh, changes are we going to see in the Patriots evaluations? Yeah. So, I mean, this is very, very brief, very, uh, you know, 30,000 foot view, but I think it's interesting. Jonathan Jones, not the cornerback, the, the CBS sports insider, which every time I see, you know, Jonathan Jones says Patriots, like I have to pause as much as I, 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 you know, wish all Patriots players the best after their playing career please don't let Jonathan Jones go into media because it's going to be too confusing. (laughs) He's going to have to throw a middle initial in there or something. Um, But according to CBS's Jonathan Jones, uh, a part of what Alonzo Highsmith is going to be doing is help transition the Patriots grading system. So he he just talks about player grading. I think this applies to both pro and college, uh, you know, free agency and the draft. But I I really look at it through the lens of the draft because I think – in free agency, when guys have already played in the league, it's a little bit easier in this regard. But yeah. but uh, Jones writes, whereas Belichick's Patriots had stringent grading rules on specific players and fits it, that it, sorry, whereas Belichick's Patriots had stringent grading rules on specific players and their fits in the organization, the Packers system is talking about the one that Highsmith ran with with Elliot Wolf in Green Bay. The Packers system has long been noted to emphasize traits like athleticism versatility and explosiveness. So when we look at potential Patriots, you know, how many guys check and not every player is going to check all three of those boxes. And there may be guys they like for other reasons. And and that doesn't mean every player they sign is going to play multiple positions and, you know, be shot out of a cannon, but these are going to be core. This sounds like a core philosophy. This basically sounds like players who fit this description are guys we need to look at. So I mean, when I look at the draft, I locked out. I did my mock draft before this report came out, and I think I hit on a couple of these guys that I would definitely say, especially the explosiveness and the versatility part. But this is part of covering the draft. Now, I was talking about this. As much as people wanted to say the Patriots were unpredictable in the draft under Belichick, you had 20-something years of context that you do anything for long enough, there's going to be a pattern. Right. And that's just human nature. We're really starting over now. There's no trends there's no none of that. So where at least none of the old trends apply as, as far as we know. So are we just throwing names at a board or what can we use to kind of qualify? This guy is a fit for the New England Patriots. Like, what does that mean now? Because it used to mean something different than it's going to mean moving forward. There's some overlap. Obviously, I know people hear versatility and think that. But yeah, I think that this is a good key. This is a good starting point when we talk about who is a fit. For the New England Patriots, what is this front office looking for from a player? This is a good starting point in in beginning to answer that question. 
Now you mentioned your mock draft. Give me some of the guys that you hit on who kind of fit this criteria because now I'm intrigued. So I think, yeah, uh, Patrick Paul, the tackle from Houston, mm -hmm. explosive, athletic. I don't know how versatile he is. I think he's probably just a probably just a left tackle. Uh, Jatavion Sanders, I think, checks all three. You love him. That's your boy. I really do. Freak <laughs> athlete, uh, big play machine. He can line up all over the offensive formation. I would say Jatavion Sanders checks those boxes. Roman Wilson, I'd say, I, I don't, I wouldn't call him overly explosive, but he's definitely athletic. And he has the versatility to line up in multiple spots. And then uh, a guy, I uh, a couple other for versatility, Javon Foster, the tackle from Missouri, who I know you like, Taylor. Uh, Jalen Simpson. Brandon Thorne Auburn. likes him too. I found that out. Uh, Does he? Uh, that episode's coming out on Friday, Pat's Daily. But yeah, no, uh, Brandon Thorne was a fan of Javon Foster. So we're on the right track. Nice. Uh, Jalen Simpson from Auburn, who logged over 400 snaps at both boundary corner and free safety. One of the guys I really stumbled onto, and I do this, this is kind of how it goes. And Taylor, I don't know if you ever have this experience where, because I don't, I know people think that I do because I watch all the college football. I don't necessarily know all 500 players, 600 players in the draft from day That's one. news like, to me, to be very honest. I kind of figured that you were the encyclopedia. So I'm generally aware of like the top <laughs> 100 by the time we get to, you know, January. But there, and then, and then there's other guys deeper down. I know, but it's, a, it's, I always say it's a process, right? And you're learning more guys of course, of course. and maybe I'm not, it's not that I'm not aware of them, but it's like, you know, I, I know the name, like I could tell you, yeah, name school position, but that's kind of where it's maxing out. But, you know, I started doing some research for this mock draft on Mo Kamara, Muhammad Kamara, who is an edge rusher outside linebacker from Colorado state. I actually sent you a clip of him, Taylor. That was the guy I sent you that did destroyed yeah. that tack from Boise state, uh, six, one, 250 pounds, unbelievable, unbelievable first step off the line of scrimmage. I mean, he is significantly out of his stance before the tackle opposite him is out of his. Like this six the, one, that's good leverage too to be working with. Yeah. So, you know, and he's he plays with a great motor. They line, I don't know that he'll be able to play on the interior in the NFL, but they played him in a number of different spots in Colorado State on the interior as a hand down end. Standing up, I think he's probably a stand-up rusher in the NFL, but you know they're going to need an edge rusher, especially we'll see what happens with Matthew Judon, a guy like this early on day three. And yeah, when I saw explosive, athletic, versatile, the first two guys I thought of for my mock draft were Jatavion Sanders and Muhammad Kamara. So a couple of names to keep in mind. You're so good at this. And of course, I, I joke. Well, let's I get they take him. Let's let's no. <laughs> if they take them, of course. But I want to make it very clear. I don't actually expect anybody to know all these people. Like Dane Brugler and like Emery Hunt and all these people whose literal job it is to know all these prospects, they're still catching up. But I you, mean, look, my Daniel friend, Jeremiah is the GOAT. Damn close. Daniel Jeremiah is the GOAT. I, I No offense to anybody else, but like he has the write-ups on everybody. Um, yeah, yeah I, I think last year I, I kept track. And in terms of players I wrote about, and there may have been a handful of other players that I looked up and just never worked into writing something. I think it was 315 players last year that I did. I made some sort of mention of in my pre-draft coverage. Now, some of that is to be fair. Some of that is this is Bryce young. He's going to go first overall. The Patriots won't take him. And that's all we did for Bryce Young, right? That's fine. But that's fine. I, that's I, yeah. dude, I don't I care. Three, that's ridiculous. Yeah. I remember because I remember when I hit whatever the picks number was, like 266. I remember when I hit the picks number, I was like, this is pretty cool. 
and then I did, you know, a couple more guys after that. So the pro days help. Yeah, fair. You're a freaking madman. I don't, again, I, I respect you being humble in your process, but like, God damn, my friend, that is the point. That's is, what, sorry. Well, I brought that up was I wanted to say, you know, February 14th last year, I was probably somewhere around 115, 120 players. And that, you know, you build out the Rolodex as you go. That, that to me, that that's my favorite part of this to me is like, I'm looking, uh, you know, I'm looking through players and I'm, I'm reading and I'm watching and like, I stumble on a guy and I'm like, who, who's this now? How have I missed this guy? And, uh, Keon white was actually one of those guys for me last year. It was a little yeah, earlier. It was like right after the senior bowl. But I remember, uh, cause I'm like Georgia tech. They never draft guys in Georgia tech. And you know, but he's they, are they going to take a defensive lineman that high? You right. know what it was? I was doing research on players that had changed positions. Cause I knew they liked that. And then I looked at him and I was like, I still don't think they're going to take a defensive lineman this high. Although I mocked him to them later, but initially I was like, they're probably not going to take a defensive lineman this high, but like if they do. So yeah, it's, you know, it, there's guy, I, I always say it's like, uh, I, I, I found a guy. That's like what I like to be like. Oh, I found this guy. He's this, I found this guy. He's this, uh, and there'll be more and they go on. Who was the guy, um, two years ago, Jared Bernhardt from Ferris state was I described as a all these Patriots all fans, those words were new to me. <laughs> he's a Patriots fans was a Patriots fans pre-draft fever dream. So he was a four-year lacrosse player at Maryland. Oh. He won the uh uh Tiernan trophy, which is the lacrosse Heisman. Like he was Damn. he's Maryland's a historic lacrosse program. He set their goals record. Yeah. He then transferred to D2 Ferris State as an option quarterback won a national championship, was conference player of the year, and then was working out for teams as a quarterback, receiver, safety, and kick returner. And also his dad was a longtime NFL and college coach who coached with Bill O'Brien. Where did he end up? The Falcons. Is he still on the Falcons? I forget. He was like getting like back and forth between the practice squad and uh, the active roster. Um he also does sound like someone that Arthur Smith would just love to give touches over Bijan, <laughs> like whatever position he played. Well, it was just like, oh, he actually retired. Oh, he retired and got into coaching, lacrosse coaching. But um, yeah, it was. I was like, at all the boxes he checked, I was like, this guy is. These when, when Patriots fans close their eyes and have nightmares about what the team's going to do in the draft, the lacrosse <laughs> player whose dad coached with Belichick, who's trying to play four different positions after being a D2 option quarterback. That's pretty hilarious. Yeah. All right. <laughs> we have to sorry, move on. Sorry I, I, to derail I, us. I just, that's no, that, that's the point of this. I love when you derail <laughs> us. It's the, it's literally the yeah. bread and butter of this show. But first we got to throw it to our friends at FanDuel before we move on. We'll be right back. Get buckets with your first bet on FanDuel, America's number one sports book. Because right now, new customers get $150 in bonus bets with any winning $5 bet. That's $150 if your bet wins. Bet on all your favorite NBA players and teams with quick bets, live same-game parlays, exclusive props, and more. Just visit FanDuel.com Boston and shoot your shot. FanDuel, official sportsbook partner of the NBA. 21 plus and present in Massachusetts, hope is here. First online real money wager only. $10 first deposit required. Bonus issued as non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire seven days after receipt. Restrictions apply. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com 
gamblinghelplinema.org or call 800-327-5050 for 24-7 support. Play it smart from the start. GameSenseMA.com or call 1-800-GAM-1234. I'll be honest. I like those ads way better when it's Gary Tangway. <laughs> I hate, yeah, I, I hate like hearing my voice. It's, it's, it sucks. I, I like muted myself. I was just looking at the time to see how long it was going to last. All right, moving on. God, that was the worst. Early round Patriots trade scenarios. you mentioned your mock draft. You had a very enticing second round scenario. So for the first round, if you have it off the dome, I can pull it up if you need it. But I know we were texting. We mentioned some first-round yeah. trade scenarios. They want to give up three. Uh, do you want me to shoot those off? Because I know you had the ones for two. You want me to handle one? Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, I, there's really okay. only one first-round one that I like. So. Yeah. so, 2023, the Cardinals went from three to 12. That's a big jump. If the Pats want yeah. a really good quarterback or they want a top tackle, that's going to be out of their range most likely. But if they did go from three to something like 11, 12, whatever, the Cardinals did it in exchange for a second-rounder, a future first rounder and a future third rounder. All right. 2018, yep. the Colts went from three to six in exchange for two second round picks and a future second rounder. So really the idea is, is that you're at least going to get a second rounder. You're at least going to get a future pick in the first couple rounds. And then it's either going to be another future first or another pick in the second round, which it sounds so good, man. I'm, I, I just, I, I like three to six, Maybe three to five with like the Chargers this year would yeah. probably be ideal because those teams probably don't want quarterbacks. They're probably trying to get like a tackle or a Marvin Harrison Jr. You just risk the Falcons jumping up in front of you and getting someone like a Jaden Daniels. That's like the biggest risk. But you go through the second round scenarios because I really like what you had to, talk, to say. Yeah. So just for context, like I, I, I'm not a big believer in the first round trade down. You you should not be operate. Cause I hear people say, Oh, you know, you trade down and the team will be bad again. And you, you know, you, no, if that's their that's approach, strange. they need to clean, they need a clean house in the front office. It's just the reality of it. <laughs> you should, the, the Gerard Mayo, Elliot Wolf should all be working under the assumption that we'll never be picking in the top 10 ever again. That's just, yeah. that's how you operate. Amen. And so I think having a chance to pick that high in the draft is rare. And I think especially when in a draft this deep a quarterback, you're in one of the quarterback picks. Like, let's say Jane Daniels just didn't exist. There's a, a much stronger argument to be made for moving down, but he's there, right? So I hate the idea of giving up the third, but I do understand the thought process behind it. And it is one that overall I subscribe to, that this team has so many needs and it's a way to add premium picks in this draft and just fill more. So... To me, and, and, and the, the the flip side of that is when you take a quarterback late in the first, you take quarterback in the second or later on, which I've referred to as a half-measure at quarterback, which I don't like. I don't think those work. So to me, let's do the half-measure with the trade-down instead because you can still add premium picks without trading the third pick. And what I did in my mock is instead of trading down from three, I traded down from 34 you might not add an extra first, but you're going to add extra top 50 picks. And if you know what you're doing in scouting players, especially if you take the quarterback at the top, you can get really good tackles on day two. You can get really good receivers on day two. So the one I specifically did is the Packers actually have two second round picks this year because they have the one from the Aaron Rodgers Whoa, trade. Wow, wow. Okay. So I, and I mean, there's some other picks thrown in here, but I moved back from 34 
to 41 and 57. I turned the one second round pick into two second round picks. I don't know that it works that way. Like that's all oh, you can only do that with the Packers. And maybe the Packers don't want to make that trade, but can you move down from 34 to like 40 and maybe get a future, a third this year and a future second or something like that. Like there's, you can add one, if not two, you can definitely, you'll definitely add a top 50 pick. You move down from 34, you'll get whatever you, whatever pick you're moving down to. Plus you should get another top called 60 pick, I guess, either this year or next year. Maybe you get a second, a future second. And then I think you can get a top 100 pick on top of that in terms of throwing another third somewhere either this year or next year, right? But I think if you move down from 41, you're looking at a second, a second, and a third. It's just a matter of one of those picks is probably going to be a future pick, which they're going to need players in the future too. Like, that's fine. So that that's the trade I like. And actually, I did it again at the start of the fourth round and moved down to add picks on day three. But okay. I like I, that. I, I, there's only one trade I like moving out of three. And that is you move, and this is only if you don't believe in any of the quarterbacks. If you don't believe in, in right, Jayden that's Daniels, the big thing. It is, it's like if May's off the board, how much do you actually like Jaden Daniels? If they're like, ah, eh, I'm not totally sold, I'm more okay with it. I, I think they're gonna like them. I do think they're gonna like. I think they'll I like both of them. Uh, but and I've said this: if you believe there's a quarterback on the board that's gonna win a Super Bowl with your organization, there's nothing worth giving up. There's nothing worth giving up, uh, or there's nothing worth getting back. Sorry, you give up on that guy. But let's say they don't love love the quarterbacks. The one trade I like is you go from three to eight with Atlanta. You get eight. I think it's 41, whatever their second is next year. Second in Kyle Pitts. That's the one trade I like because Kyle Pitts would be such a good fit in, in, in Van Pelt's and uh future first. Sorry. I meant there are future first in there. It's basically the trade that the bears made to move up from nine to one. Now, the gap's a little closer, and maybe you throw in day three picks. Maybe you throw in Mac Jones. But the value – so one of the trades you mentioned was the the six to three, the Sam um, the Sam Darnold trade when the Jets moved up with the Colts, right? Yeah. And that was in – that was 2018, right? I want to pull this mm-hmm. up. Yeah, 2018, yep. At the time, as crazy as this sounds, at the time – or no, sorry, I have my math wrong on that. I ignored it. I just said, but the point being, because there's a quarterback on the board, the pick's worth more. Again, it's that thing where, like, if Jane Daniels didn't exist yeah. and Caleb Williams and Drake May went one and two, then the third, that you're automatically getting less of a return, even Way for the same move. Yeah. So because there's a quarterback on the board, you do have value in that. I like the idea of getting a player back, getting multiple picks. That's the only trade trade down I like. It's when you get to that second round, I think that's a sweet spot to move down and accumulate assets. And I know it freaks people out because they look at the history of what the Patriots have done in the second round in, in the last five years. And it's bad. Like I, I'm not going to sit here and tell you it's not bad. It's a different, they're using a different philosophy now. Like we just talked about, like Alex Highsmith is in the room. Elliot Wolf is more empowered. Alonzo. Than he's been in the past. Alonzo. I, I'm, I do that. that all the time. Trust me. It's got, it's yeah. It's growing pace. <laughs> Alon- Alonzo Highsmith is now in the room. Elliot Wolf is more empowered. Cameron Williams is more empowered. You, you got to believe in the front office at the end of the day, you can't be scared to make picks. And I know some Patriots fans will hear that and roll their eyes and be like, what about what they've done? Well, then you then be the Rams, then be the Rams and trade all the picks for players. It's option a or option B. You can't be drafting scared when you draft scared. You just end up with a bunch of floor players that are okay. And you go seven and nine every year. 
you got to trust your development. And that's one thing Gerard Mayo has harped on is he wants developers. And, yeah. you know, I feel like a lot of people kind of read that as like, oh, yeah, like it's not a big deal, whatever. It's not enough vision. But like that's one thing they've been lacking. And you can say, like, obviously, I don't think anybody thinks Bill wasn't trying when he was running things. But his vision grew stale. He wasn't listening to people that were close to him, at least based on reports. And more than that, he didn't have people, at least on the offensive staff, who showed that they could consistently develop the young players they had. Offensive line, wide receiver, quarterback since Josh McDaniels. Like, yeah, they had Bill O'Brien, but then he had to deal with everything else as well. So I, I completely agree. Draft the guys that you think you can develop and turn into serious studs and rely on your coaches to actually be able to make that happen. Right, yeah, we're gonna close out. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, sorry, I was going to say, I mean, I, I, this this take drives people crazy, but I, I, I'm not saying Nikhil Harry was ever going to be better than A.J. Brown or Debo Samuel. He wasn't. I don't think he needed to be the player he was. Like, he could have been a 40-catch, 500-yard, 4-5 touchdown guy, but his development and his and the way they used him in the offense, like that didn't help the situation. We've seen multiple guys like this on both sides of the ball. I mean, we talked a lot last year about the usage of Marte Mapu and how that never felt like a fit benching Demario Douglas early in the year. Um, they're just they're, as, as much as we can talk about the players, the Patriots selected, this is, this is probably my biggest core belief when it comes to the NFL draft Taylor for somebody who always talks about this player over this player, this player over this player. I think drafting the right players truly only half the battle. It really is nature and nurture. And when you get, you can get the right guy in the bit, there's been a lot of very promising players that went to a bad situation and ended up being busts. And I don't think it's because they were truly bad football players. I even think there's some cases where players who weren't good and probably shouldn't have been as good as they were went to a perfect situation. Right. So that's not to say it's a crapshoot. Like you need to start with a good, like that instance of drafting a bad player, making him good is super rare, but you need a base to start with, but just drafting a guy only goes so far. And if you ask me, and I, I look, I, I think they struggled in both areas. I think they struggled in both player identification and player development. Which is why you get but, here, where your offense right. has like two building blocks. <laughs> but if you were to ask me where was the bigger issue, I would say development over identification. Sure. Because I think I there are instances where, you know, I, everybody knows I feel this way about Mac Jones. Mac Jones was the right pick. I go back, if I'm sitting there on the board at 15 and 21, and I would take Mac Jones again. The difference is I wouldn't take Cole Strange in the first round the next year. I would take Christian Watson and I'd invest more in tackle and I'd do this and that, right? And I wouldn't make Matt Patricia the offensive coordinator. I think you could say the same thing for guys like on the defensive side of the ball. They never, Anthony Jennings obviously ended up being an okay player by now, but it took four years because they just sat him and sat him and sat him. Juwan Williams is another one where he didn't play until his 30. And that doesn't mean like, oh, I, I, so that one's like, I wouldn't go back and take Juwan Williams, but retroactively on that, the problem wasn't necessarily just that they took a bad player. They took a player at, at the time. They had Steph Gilmore, J.C. Jackson, and Jason McCourty, and, and Jonathan Jones, all on multi-year deals. Oh, right, yeah. Juwan Williams was never going to play. And so there was no way for him to develop. There's no way for him to get better. So this is, I, I think, an important point to remember. And this is really where I'm looking for the biggest change. How does the player development track change? in new England, because I, I trust high Smith to help them identify the right players. But if you then give them to the coaching staff 
and the coaching staff continues to repeat the same issues, it's not going to look all that different. Knocked it out of the park, brother. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. It's, and I feel like micro, like quarterbacks are kind of the microcosm of how it can go one way or the other. Like you look at a Brock Purdy, he's, you know, Mr. Irrelevant. If he goes to say, I don't know, like what's a team that can't really develop quarterbacks? Like uh, oh, it's kind of the bad. Jets. The Jets. If he goes to the Jets, he is not the Brock Purdy that we know now where we're like, right. okay, he may be a game manager, but he also can pull some cool stuff out of his hat because the offensive line isn't very good. All he really has is Garrett Wilson. The development around him isn't really there. The confidence. Like, there's so many things that we don't like to talk about when it comes to how players are. Jacoby Myers. Think about the only reason he succeeded was because Cam Newton gave him the confidence to be like, hey, right. man, I believe in you. Like, keep at it. Imagine if Jacoby Myers never meets Cam Newton and is only coming off of the Tom Brady didn't like, you know, I, this isn't what he said, but like working under Tom Brady, we understand for rookies, it's very hard because he's very demanding and he's not particularly patient. So if you never have that person who kind of pulls you out of it and is like, no, you can survive at the NFL, you can thrive here. Then that career goes down the gutter and, and then it's a wasted pick or he was an undrafted free agent. So you're like, oh, he's just another guy who came in, came out. The situation, the people you have around right. you, all of those things matter so much. And we don't talk nearly enough about that and like, in the draft process. To apply it forward, everybody thinks I hate J.J. McCarthy. That's not the take. <laughs> the take is, I think, and, and to this big point of nature versus nurture, I think some players are more dependent on the situation than other players. I think every player is dependent on the situation to an extent. But J.J. McCarthy, like people say, well, do you think J.J. McCarthy is going to be good in the NFL? I don't know. Is he going to, is he coming to New England? Probably not. This is not a great setup for him. Is he going to Minnesota? Is he going to LA? Yeah, I kind of love that for LA, especially yeah. like LA, I think is the best fit. That's for a him. great situation like, for him. You're talking yeah. about same player. If you were to get drafted in New England, if you were to get drafted by the Rams, I, I you're, you're talking about two completely different career paths. I think like that is how, you know, some other guys, I think like a guy like Caleb Williams, he'll be fine wherever he goes. But, you know, if he goes well, Chicago, he's only going to Chicago. So I guess that's a bad example. But, um, you know, I, or I would say even between. Uh, so like a couple years ago, right? Like like the Jets and the Patriots, Zach Wilson and Mac Jones. I forget. I'm sorry. I forget the point I was trying to make, but the point being like <laughs> certain guys, I, I I think are more dependent. And when you look at some of the quarterbacks in this class, I think JJ McCarthy is a guy who's very situation dependent. I think that uh, Bo Nix is a guy who's very situation dependent. I think Jane Daniels is pretty situation dependent. Uh, I just get scared of him going to Washington because of what that organization did to RG three. Like that's another great example. RG three, uh, that damn field. <laughs> right. Exactly. So I like, it, to me, it's just something to keep in the back of your mind. Like, I, I hate it so much when people say, do you think, especially with quarterbacks, but it's true with all players, do you think so-and-so is going to be good in the NFL? And I feel like I'm giving a cop-out, but it's like, could be well, who, who drafts him, right? <laughs> right. Who drafts yeah, him? Like, exactly. There's, and there, there are guys, I mean, like Marvin Harrison's going to be good anywhere he goes, obviously. But 
the difference between, and I, I don't have like ideas in my head for him, but the difference between team A and team B. Okay. So like, here's a great example. If he goes fourth to the Cardinals versus if he goes fifth to the Chargers, is he going to play with maybe Kyler Murray in an offense that's kind of a mess? Or is he going to play with Justin Herbert in, in uh, uh, Kellen Moore's offense? Like that's, Very he'll different. be fine. He'll be <laughs> fine either way. But you're talking about, yeah, he's going to be pretty good versus this dude could be an all pro year one. Like yeah. it's that kind of thing. Yep. All right. We're moving on so we can wrap this yeah. up because it was a good conversation, but we got to do it. Yeah. All right. Now, best X receiver prospects, if T. Higgins does actually get tagged. You saw the news. There's a lot of different scenarios where you can get tagged and they either keep him, they extend him, they trade him. Him being tagged doesn't necessarily mean he doesn't leave. But I think with this receiver class, like you're not trying to trade away a valuable pick that you could if you wanted to just spend on a wide receiver who's on a rookie deal and then end up paying them. So, who in this class do you think could fill in that X receiver mold for the Patriots where we're kind of assuming they're not going to stick with Devontae Parker and they have no other X types on the roster? So who do you think could fill into that kind of role and be valuable for them pretty early on? Well, I, I, I will say this. The athletic piece yesterday that broke the news about T. Higgins being franchise tag said the projected price is a second round pick. I'd probably trade 34 for T. Higgins. I'd probably... I'd probably Higgins is more better than a tackle though. More than a tackle. You'd have to get creative. You, you're in that assuming regard. it's a, it's a quarterback, right? That's, That's a, true. Like it's Jonah. Here's my thing. If you get yeah. Jonah Williams and you draft Javon Foster, get your weapons, load up on weapons. I'm so cool yeah, with that. I mean, I mean you some need a tackle going into the draft. Some Two. of it's dependent on what happens around, uh, you know, with the rest of the moves, but like in a bubble, if you told me you could make the rest of it work 34 for T Higgins out, Absolutely. I'm sure. on board. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That being said, I mean, like I like Pittman. People think he's probably going to get tagged. I know Calvin Ridley is a little bit more of a Z. I mm. think in Van Pelt's offense, he can be an X. There is a, because Amari Cooper was kind of the same. Full-time X? Full-time X? As, I feel like I feel like a lot of the guys that we're talking about can be situational access, where if you like the yeah. matchup, you put them out there on an island. But we're talking to Mari Cooper, like this is one of the most heavy three-by-one teams where they loved, at least like in that system, they love putting Amari Cooper backside with the one-on-ones. I just don't know if that's Calvin Ridley's game on a staff-to-staff basis. I that just I think, yeah, I, I don't I my philosophy with receiver. So like, I really like Mike Evans and I don't think Mike Evans is getting out of Tampa, but, and every time I say Mike Evans, people say, why do you want Mike Evans? He's old. He is. I'm not signing Mike Evans to a five-year deal. I I don't think you have to worry about that. I don't think anybody's signing Mike Evans to a five-year deal. Everybody wants to do the bridge quarterback, right? Let's do Let's do a bridge receiver. You, You sign Mike Evans. He's your primary X. You draft a guy like a Brendan Rice later on day two. And I mean, Brendan Rice will play, but you still have Mike Evans there. And then in like two years, when Mike Evans is old and tapped and his contract's up, you hope that within that time, Brendan Rice, again, we talked about player development, boom, steps right in and there you go. And it's a nice, easy, smooth transition. Like that's the plan in my mind that I like. So if you were to do it with Calvin Ridley, it would just look a little different where he's playing some X or you can get away with somebody of his body type playing X. And then when you really just need that big guy on the backside, that's where... Brendan Rice, like your comes Jojo LaFell type, right? LaFell type, where it's so, physical, so, he can win one on one. Yeah, I like that. So I you're like just that. kind of wrote, you kind of have a situational X essentially between Calvin Ridley and uh, again the, the name I pull out of my my ass right there is Brendan Rice, but that could be Johnny Wilson, 
that could be. I was wondering. I, I was going to ask really you, like you think Luke Johnny McCaffrey? Wilson could be? I'm so, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. I keep. No, so that was it. Go ahead. Do you think that, um, oh my God, no, Johnny Wilson could be an X at the next level with his speed concerns? Do you think his size is enough where it's like he can just body guys out in that way? Yeah. Well, he supposedly ran a 4.45 in high school. So I just, I'm just going off what I saw at the senior bowl. I didn't see a, I didn't see that. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, and look, I'm not saying know, that number is real, but like if he comes out and runs like a 4.5, well then, yeah, sure. Good with yeah, that. sure. Yeah, yeah I just, no, I, I, I don't, I wouldn't say he looked particularly explosive. I would say he looked like he moved well for a dude who's massive. So I would say, who's your Z? Like, I, because if it's the if Z, it's Johnny I think Wilson, it's easy Z, you can get in round three. It's either uh, so this uh, like is Roman Wilson point. or uh, Ricky Pearsall. I feel like you're good. So you need speed on the field, but yeah. not everybody has to be fast. So Pop Douglas is True. obviously very fast. True. If you go out and get a fast Z, somebody put Xavier Worthy in the chat, which is a great example. And now we're going wide receiver back to back on day two. But like, if you have Pop Douglas and Xavier Worthy, like you have enough speed on the field. Like the defense mm -hmm. is already stressed by that. You can throw Johnny Wilson over there at the X, and you're not going to be giving up too much. If it's Juju Smith Schuster in the slot, and I don't know, some like not very fast receiver is your Z with Johnny Wilson. That that's a really tough sell. That yeah. that becomes and that was the problem last year when it was Juju and Parker. There just wasn't enough speed on the field elsewhere yep. to justify that. So no. I like I don't think Johnny Wilson's slow. He's definitely faster than he should be for a guy his size. He can't be your fastest receiver. That's right. a concern. But if you have speed elsewhere, that's basically taking up the other defense's speed guys. Johnny Wilson should be able to handle his own because he's not he's not winning with speed. You're not counting on him to run by guys. Right. You're so he's more like your Devontae Parker type. Yeah, you're going to throw the ball yeah. nine feet in the air and he can get up there in the corner can't. Like, it doesn't really matter if the corner's with him or not. They call it vertical separation. Like, everybody thinks of separation. How many yards are there between you and the receiver, which to me is one kind of separation, but nobody ever talks about when the wide receiver six four with massive arms, he's a five ten corner on him. T Higgins, and not to pick on Marcus Jones, right? But T Higgins on True. Marcus Jones, there's always going to be a window you can throw that ball to T Higgins, yep. even if Marcus Jones is in his pocket. And Johnny Wilson's going to give you a ton of natural separation just by being how big he is. And that's where we talk about like the situational X, because a lot of the yeah. time the X is just a clear out. Right. Like that's a part of it too. Where like you don't want a Johnny Wilson necessarily, where he's always tasked with like, all right, you got to take this backside guy out of here because we don't want him being able to like cut the crossing route or something like that. Where like that's why I say the speed concerns. Where like you don't want him on an island all the time, being your clear out guy. But if you're like, all right, we need that one on one winner, we got him. But that that makes perfect sense. Right. All right. That's going to wrap up this week's show. Very excited to bring it to you next week. Again, we're going to talk more about some combine stuff as that gets a little closer. But for now, as always, take care of yourselves. Take care of each other. And we'll see you next time. Peace. Bye. Bye.